0: Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome to The Stacks, a podcast about books and the people who read them. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas, and today we welcome Mina Kimes to The Stacks. I'm so excited. I'm a huge fan of Mina. She is a sports journalist. You might know her from the show NFL Live on ESPN. You also might know her voice from the Mina Kaim show featuring Lenny, her dog. Mina is very much the person to go to for all things sports. Today, we talk about her career, how she thinks of her place in sports media, and of course, her favorite books. Remember, Mina will be back on February 22nd to discuss The Roundhouse by Louise Erdrich for the Stacks Book Club quick reminder everything we talk about on each episode of the show can be found in the link in the show notes and if you love the show and you want more of it please go to patreon.com slash the stacks and join the stacks pack i could not make the show without the support of the stacks pack and for just five dollars a month you get bonus episodes our virtual book club access to our discord which is very much the place to be if you love books plus you get to know that your contribution makes it possible for this podcast to exist every single week to join, head to patreon.com slash stacks. I also want to say a quick thank you to some of our newest members of the Stacks Pack, Elizabeth Loretto, Emma Veach, Rebecca Stummy, Heather Heinz, Ma, Grace Tenkoff, Andrew, and Madison Donatoni. Thank you all so much, and thank you to the entire Stacks Pack. All right, it is now time for my conversation with Mina Kimes. All right, everybody. I am so excited today. I'm here with one of my, maybe my most favorite person in sports, Mina Kimes. She is a podcaster. She is a TV personality. She's a writer. She's a Seahawks fan, which we can talk about later because that's a problem. But otherwise, (laughs) mostly I'm on board with Mina. So Mina, welcome to the Stacks. (laughs)
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: I'm so excited. I just said you're my favorite person in sports, and I know David Dennis is going to listen and be <laughs> mad. So it's a tie. And Justin Tinsley. It's a three-way tie for favorite people oh, in man. sports. <laughs> those,
1: they're, those guys are so great. Justin's probably the most likable person at ESPN. On the face of the earth. Uh, on the, and maybe yeah. the earth. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's just such a peach. And they're obviously wonderful writers. So yeah. Um, yeah, when they connected me to you, I was so excited.
0: Yes. We're big fans of them here. So if you would, will you just tell folks a little bit about yourself?
1: Yeah, sure. So um, my job right now is that I'm an NFL analyst at ESPN, but uh, my career has taken a lot of pretty interesting turns before that. Um, after graduating from college, I worked as a business journalist for six years. I worked at Fortune magazine where at first I wrote about investing uh, and then I pivoted couple years into that to being an investigative reporter there, writing basically about companies doing bad things is how I would summarize it. Um, Then I moved to Bloomberg News and joined their investigative team. Uh, And then in 2014, ESPN contacted me about a job at ESPN the magazine, which doesn't exist anymore, as a features writer, writing about sports, (laughs) uh, which is not something I ever aspired to do or thought I could do. I was a huge sports fan, but that was not something I dreamed of. So I joined ESPN as a writer and and worked as a writer for a few years, profiling athletes, got to travel around the world, cover the Olympics, go to Korea a couple of times for stories, which is kind of a boondoggle for me because I am Korean. So I got to use those trips to see family. (laughs) Uh, And then um, around 2015, 16, I started doing sports radio and podcasting. Um, And then from there... And this is how a lot of writers at ESPN transitioned to becoming television personalities. I started doing shows like Around the Horn, Highly Questionable, First Take, uh, and helped launch a podcast called ESPN Daily. And then I think around 2019, no, 20, transitioned to being full time on television as an NFL analyst, which brings me to what I said That's I did at the are. beginning. So yeah. <laughs> so my job now basically is to talk about football and give opinions about football. And it means watching a lot of football.
0: Okay, when you got the email from or the, the the reach out from ESPN that was like, "Hey, do you want to yeah. write about sports?" Were you like, "Yes, a thousand percent, I'm all in," or were you like, "I don't do that"?
1: <laughs> it was shocking because it, it was not something that had ever occurred to me. I mean, they, it occurred to them because I had written a personal essay about how much I love football, I and also because my social media was just. Dumb sports memes <laughs> and sports okay. opinions. Yeah, so they were like, "You seem <laughs> obsessed with this." Why do you want to do? It. But I really, truly had never thought it. I never, even as a child, thought it was something that I could write about, much less give opinions about. Let me tell you that. Um, but uh you know, at the time, I was I'd been working as a business journal- journalist for a while, and being an investigative journalist is very tiring. <laughs> it's a lot of getting yelled at by lawyers, and um <laughs> you know, just I I went home and I thought, man. I could write about something I love for a living. It, it was scary because I had kind of built up this institutional expertise, institutional, whatever. I, you know, I've right. been covering business for a while and right. I didn't know the first thing about covering sports, but I kind of thought, well, if I don't take this opportunity, I'm probably never going to get it again. Is it at all similar covering business and sports? So I would say the fundamentals were the same, especially as a features writer, you know, reporting, gathering information, gathering data. It was a kind of a through line for me between things. And then structuring features, very similar. Right. But all of the little things you take for granted, like I knew how to read 10 K's and get through to companies and find worker employees and stuff. Whereas covering sports, especially profiling athletes, it's like, how do you work with agents? How do you get it? How do you get into a locker room? Like, you don't know. Right. And then you feel (laughs) dumb asking, like, how do I get a credential? So I had to learn like a lot of the little things on the fly, but the underlying tools were basically the same.
0: And nobody t- tells you that it's like on your onboarding day. HR is not yeah. like, okay, this is how you get a credential. You just have to just like figure it out. Exactly. Yeah. I mean,
1: and, or ask people, which is embarrassing. Okay? You know, <laughs> I mean, at that, especially if you're not just starting at your career at times. Um, right. and then, yeah, so that was writing about it. And then talking about it was obviously a totally different process and something I had to learn how to do on the fly.
0: So Jamel Hill came on the show last year, um, in case, in case you didn't know, I'm a big sports fan. So any opportunity yeah. to have a sports person on the show, I'm That's like, great. you wrote a book? Come on in. So, but mm-hmm. in Jamel's book, she talks about how, because she was also a sports journalist writing about things before she ever got on TV. And when she first went mm-hmm. on TV, she talked about how like, she didn't know how to dress, she didn't know how to, like, be feminine, and, like, that that was something that was really hard for her, and she hired her friend to help her, and it was this whole other thing because all of a sudden she was being judged on her looks when she was used to being judged on just her work and her ability to tell a story. Did you run up against any of that? You know, there was a little bit of it as far as the look stuff. So, I like I didn't really wear
1: makeup before yeah. I started going on TV <laughs> and the makeup artist the ESPN always laughed because I would call foundation skin makeup. Cause I just okay. didn't, I was like, where's the skin makeup, you know? So there were some, definitely some missteps early on. Like, uh, you know, I let like way too many smoky eyes and I have small eyes, but for the most part the things I had to learn that I didn't know how to do were performance related, you know, mm. performance, meaning performing on, right. on camera. You right. know, I, I didn't act, I didn't do comedy or improv, they do radio growing up. So just like learning how to communicate in a concise and hopefully entertaining fashion. It's a craft, you know, some people are born with the gift of gab, I guess, and it comes easier to some people than others. But for me, it was a lot of watching other people paying attention to how ideas were structured and, um, you know, trying to gain the confidence to do it myself.
0: Who were you looking to? Who were the people on sports television that you were like, okay, I like what you what you bring.
1: Well shoot, I always love
0: watching Jamel
1: because she yeah. was just so she is so clearly herself. But she also, and I think this is how what I feel is what makes her so good on television. She's so warm mm-hmm. and human. Mm-hmm. And I have always loved that quality when I watch people, you know, on television, the ones who can who, you know, are appear to be enjoying themselves and, and and like the things they're talking about and also have empathy for the people in their orbit. Um, but for me, a lot of it also was watching football analysts in particular because, you know, especially when I transitioned to becoming a full-time NFL analyst, understanding okay, this is these are the, the things we have to talk about. These are the things we have to hit. Right. How do I communicate? Co- Football's really complicated. How yeah. do you communicate complicated things in a digestible fashion uh, was something that I had to learn along the way.
0: So, what I like about you is your confidence. I think, obviously, you're, I think you're like one of the smartest people doing what you do, not just in football, but just in, like whenever I hear you on like a Ringer podcast, you always have a take. You always have like such a good sense of what's going on, even if it's like a movie or whatever. The Bachelor, big Juliette <laughs> Littman fan here. So, you know, I love, love when she has you on. But I wonder if when people, cause people shit on you all the time. They're like, you've never played, <laughs> you know, you know. <laughs> No,
1: so the number one thing that so first of all, no one has ever shit on me to my face ever. Well, it's literally never happened, and it's ob- on Twitter obviously, only, obviously, right? But <laughs> but I just want to like let people yeah. know for someone who does invoke a lot of uh, anger <laughs> in yeah. the commentary. At it's never <laughs> happened in real life. The thing that um guy uh, it's mostly guys, but women, you know, people say to me in real life, uh, especially athletes, say this to me all the time. They're like, you know what, Media times people
0: shit on you, but they're wrong. It's true. <laughs> Wait,
1: that's my <laughs> reputation for being shit on
0: <laughs> It is. It is because I feel like, I, be, I feel like the reason it's your reputation is because you clap back in the best Sometimes. ways. Sometimes. So like, I feel like that's always good. But I also think it's because the people who watch you and know you and like you Like, I genuinely feel upset when someone tries to shit on you. Like, so I feel like I take it on. Like, I'm like, I mean a hive. Like, how dare they? In a way that like other people, I'm like, well, I could see, I could see that criticism. But for you, I'm like, no, but she's smarter than everyone else talking. So I don't know why you're saying that. But my question is like, how do you get, how do you like keep going in yeah. the face of so much like so many people belittling you and you know I think we can call a spade a spade it's because you're a woman it's because you're Asian like they're not they don't shit on dudes who don't play football who talk about football as nearly as much as they shit on you so I'm wondering like how do you do you have like a like a pregame thing that you do or something that, like a mantra or is it just like you know you're the shit and fuck you <laughs>
1: No, it's definitely not <laughs> bad. I mean, for much of my career, it really bothered me, and I'd be lying if I said it didn't still bother me sometimes. Yeah. Um, I'm the kind of person, and I think m- most people are this way. Like, 99 people can say something nice, but if yes. one person says something mean, that's the only thing I remember. It's the then- only <laughs>
0: thing I remember, and I it's like write it down, and life. I like talk. Yeah. I ta- tell everyone about it. I'm like texting yeah, my friends. I'm and like, this I like it over this. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: totally. <laughs> um, so for me sometimes i impulsively reply especially if i have like a joke okay but really knowing my brain and how it works i actually don't see 99% of it i have pretty elaborate filters set up okay. and, and you know i reply sometimes but really most of it i just try not to look at and i think mm-hmm. This is something we all are dealing with right now or like every single, whether you have a million followers or 10 followers or whatever on social media, I think none of our brains are wired for this and we're all trying to figure out how to protect ourselves and our mental health. For me, and I think this is true of a lot of people, I just have to filter it out and make sure it doesn't even get to my brain because it's, it can be wrong, it can be stupid, it can be obviously based in identity, it still affects me. Yeah. Um, So you know, just being honest with myself about that is pretty important.
0: Yeah, I think another thing that you're known for is being a fan of teams, and I wonder how that, like, you're you're a, a first pitch thrower outer at the Mariners game, <laughs> a great pitch. Really glad you didn't embarrass Very yourself. Slow. Very well, slow. Well, it could have been. It could have been a lot could have been worse. Right. Whole, it could have been, could been in the ground. Yeah. Um But do you think that I, I think I asked. I ask this almost every time I talk to a sports person. Do you think being a fan of like particular teams enhances or detracts from your work?
1: You know, I think it is up to you, frankly, as a writer or an opinionator. You know, when I was a writer, a sports writer, I would get asked about, hey, you're openly reading for this. Yes. And I was like, well, I'm a futures writer. I think it would be strange for a beat reporter, someone who covers Mm -hmm. a team inside out to be Right. Very, you know, <laughs> right. pro um, a fan. Team. So you know, yeah. I, I didn't write about the Seahawks, and then now as an analyst, I think I'm pretty hard on them. Yeah. Um, and I can, and I have people there have told me that. So um, yeah, I think you, whether you, however you, whatever job you have in media, have to be pretty. If you're choosing to be a fan, and I think there's something great in that because listeners, readers, viewers their fans and they kind yeah. of like seeing someone who cares like them to some extent and it can create you know really it can be extremely entertaining and funny and there's also like Schadenfreude aspects of it like they like yeah. you know but you have to be very careful about how you deploy it and I do think sometimes you have to be a little bit harder on the teams I- yeah. if you're open about it.
0: Yeah, do you have any opin- opinions about people who are player fans versus team fans?
1: Uh yeah, that Certainly with the NBA, especially you, you see a lot of that, but sometimes yeah. with the NFL, too, I think it's kind of the same thing. Like, it's like
0: if you're I despise that, I think that is the worst kind of fandom. Oh, I think people you meant like player... a media person. Oh, mean no, generally. no, no, no. <laughs> I mean, generally, like, what do you think of people who like <laughs> I am such a team person that when someone's like, oh, I'm a LeBron fan and I have a Cleveland yeah. and a Miami and a Laker jersey. I'm like, you're a loser. I, and I a hate you.
1: <laughs> who's a writer. Uh-huh. Who You should have on his name's Derek Thompson. He's a writer for the Atlantic. And we met a long time ago when I was a business journalist. And he was like, yeah, I'm just he he's he was, he was reading for the Denver. And I was like, oh, are you from Denver? He's like, no, I'm a Peyton Manning fan. I'm like, what? What? He was like, yeah, I went from Peyton's there now. And I'm like, who are you? Like, I don't understand. I it's, hate it.
0: It's a different kind of fandom. I hate it. I'm yeah. like, so you have no allegiance. So this person's going to leave and then they're going to retire. And what? You're just going to find a new person alike. I hate it's- it.
1: He went from Peyton to someone else. I forget who. But he actually did that.
0: I wonder who that would be. Who's like your next? Who's your next in line? <laughs> to, I feel like now it would be Joe Burrow. That is like my Peyton Manning yeah. personality. That's He's a little chestier, but that same kind of like milquetoast white boy. But I wonder who would have been in between. I don't remember who he That's was so rooting for, but yeah, he—he's like I, I'm just a fan of greatness. <laughs> I hate it. LeBron <laughs> fans are my nightmare. Um, okay, football. So um, in the stacks community, we have a Discord. We talk about. We have a little sports channel, and when everything happened a few weeks ago with Damar Hamlin, there was a lot of chatter within the stacks community about what does the NFL do, um, and. And what can they do? And does is the only solution that there's no more football ever again because it's inherently dangerous. And so the question is less about Damar Hamlin because I think, you know, that's a one-time situation that is indicative of a much bigger hole. And I'm wondering if you become commissioner tomorrow, you can do something quickly to help bring people back to football who have left. So not the people who are mm-hmm. diehard football people, but the people who are on the fence, who have stopped maybe watching as much, who are tuning in maybe now just for the playoffs, but they feel icky about it. The Kaepernick stuff, the the head trauma stuff, just, you know, the general kind of decline of football which is not real, but is definitely like I'll a guess. sentiment. It's not real, but you know what I mean? It's like there's definitely the sentiment of like people don't watch football as much myself. Like I used to watch so much football. Now I watch Niner games and like a little here and there. Mm. What's the easiest, most effective change PR move thing that you think the NFL could do to bring people back into the fold?
1: Well, I think there's there are people who have, who have been alienated for different reasons. Um, yeah. I think there are fans who were correctly alienated during when Colin Kaepernick was blackballed as a quarterback. And unfortunately, like that ship has probably sailed in terms of doing the right thing, which is yeah. bringing him back into the NFL. Uh, and that's kind of what you're, what you're alluding to, which is sort of the, the health aspect of it. And frankly, like, I have to be honest, you can't make football safe. It is what it is. And, um, you know, you can be more honest about it, which is something I think the NFL has obviously done a better job than 10 years ago. Yeah. But can't lie and say, you, yeah. know, you know, this is this is safe and and traumatic brain injuries aren't going to happen. I think what I would do if I was commissioner was probably pour more resources into taking care of players, lifetime health care, that sort of thing, uh, making it easier for them to access benefits. And because that's really just the most realistic thing you can do.
0: Yeah, that's that's what I that was my solution was like, give everybody lifetime retirement tomorrow. And I feel like people would be like, well, at least they're trying to do right by these athletes. Okay, I have one more sports question, then we're going to transition to books. But what's a sports thing? And I'll let you decide what thing means that's still on your bucket list. Because I feel like you've Mm. gone to the Super Bowl, you've done the Olympics, you've covered all these people, (laughs) you're on TV, you've written, you've podcasts. What's on your sports related bucket list?
1: Well, I... I'm a fan of the Seattle Seahawks and the Seattle Mariners and a couple college teams. But I mean, the Mariners just made it to the playoffs. Yes. If the Mariners actually made it to the world series, which obviously has never happened, I would go yes.
0: drop everything.
1: Doesn't matter. I would find a way. Um, so I think just seeing my beloved baseball team in the world series is probably the number one thing that I wish I'd love to do as a sports fan. Um, so yeah, I think that's it. Football wise, I've kind of done everything I have wanted yeah. to do. Um, yeah. I didn't watch the the Seahawks last either of the Super Bowls. I didn't watch in person, but I didn't really care. I wanted to watch. Were with you my working? Friends. No, uh, I wasn't working that Super Bowl. And I, the one in Arizona, or um, pardon me, in New York, which is weird because I lived in New York. <laughs> but I had a bunch of friends who I'd been watching the Seahawks with for a long time, and who couldn't have gone to the Super Bowl anyways, and it was kind of more fulfilling to me to watch with them.
0: Wait, I lied. I have one more sports question. How did you get into sports? Like as a young person? It's
1: like so many people. My dad, you know, same, same, same. It's pretty. (laughs) I feel like that's the usual answer. But
0: yeah, you know, parents. Well, you know, sometimes it's like a weird thing. It's like, oh, my uncle was really into the Niners. So I became a diehard Seahawks fan. You know, I grew up and, you know, like, so I wasn't sure if it was the traditional inherited
1: All of his rooting interests,
0: baseball, basketball, college football, all of it. What's the what are your call? But not soccer because you're Tottenham, right?
1: Yeah, not really. I mean, my mom and my brother love soccer, and I grew okay. up playing soccer. I played soccer all the way through high school, but I don't follow it close enough to really Me. like to claim fandom. But you know, I want them to be happy, so I kind of loosely and they root it. for Tottenham. Yes, they're obsessed.
0: So I got into Premier League because my brother very into Man City, ah, okay. and during the pandemic, I went and lived with him for a little bit, and he was like, you need to watch this film about Pep Guardiola. You need to do this. (laughs) And then I just became, I got so into it. And now I'm like, it's my number one football. It's taken over American football for me. I have this a lot of people. Yeah. It's really, I love it. I love it. I love the drama. I love the way that they all hug (laughs) and kiss each other. I love, I just, I love them. I love them. Um, Okay. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll be right back. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last Okay, we're back. Now we're going to talk about books. Thank you for indulging me with all my sports questions. <laughs> no this is a book podcast allegedly. So, just for for folks and for me, how did you love reading? You're a big reader. How did yeah. you get into reading? Where did your love of reading come from?
1: One my earliest memories are reading. Like as a child, I was always the kid who begged to go to the library, who spent hours alone at the library. My mom could wield library time as a reward for me and make me do anything. I I read everything I could get my hands on in the house. I read when I got to the library just all every from real I mean like you know we're talking I might I remember reading like The Phantom Tollbooth and Boxcar Children and all those books and then right. chapter books and then all various Yeah. I just my whole life have loved books. And have probably found them more entertaining than anything else.
0: And when you were a kid, and I guess now, is there are there jo- genres that you were really into or not into?
1: Uh, I liked everything, to be honest. Um, you know, I read like all the trashy kids books, like mm-hmm. the Baby Sitters Club and yes, Valley High. That's not trashy, that is <laughs>
0: iconic literature. Thank uh, you. Yeah, I.
1: There's one that I. One of your questions. I don't know if I want to spoil it. That is a childhood. Obsession of mine. That's tell really me. embarrassing. Um, I can't wait. Okay, yeah. Oh, should I wait? I mean, i wait. No, no, no. Tell me. Okay. So I, I really liked fantasy books as a kid okay. too, and I loved the Dragon Riders of Pern series by Anne McCaffrey. Oh, that. Oh my God. It's so nerdy. It's um, it, there's many of them, and it is about people who ride dragons before Game of Thrones. <laughs> you know, okay. um, <laughs> and it's. I don't think they're targeted at kids but i read them all because you know there, there's some explicit content in there but i read them oh, all okay. as a child and i love stuff like that so much um all of
0: it is that the answer to your favorite book as a child or is that a different no. answer to a different question I,
1: I think one that i think it was one that people might not guess okay <laughs> That's I, what think I, thought, I I was like
0: is it that one or is it <laughs>
1: um yep yeah, so i blow up his spot a little bit my friend zach Barron, who's a great writer for GQ, I don't know how it came up. Somehow it came up that we both read these books as a kid. And I think there's such like a unique bond in having a shared <laughs> love of an obscure children's books here. I mean, again, it wasn't really for children, but um, coming out as like, fantasy nerds who like dragon books is about as embarrassing as it can get
0: but again like you said now with game of thrones it's like cool but i feel like probably like five or ten years ago was less cool like i bet people now are like "Ooh, can't wait to read another dragon thing
1: yes yeah you're right maybe they should have a second life i think i've read about tv projects that have gotten killed over the years associated with this series but um is it I, similar
0: I to Game of Thrones? Like kind old of, timey world? Yeah, a
1: little, yeah, a little bit. The main character is a woman. I mean, yeah, it, it's there's it spans de- you know, saga like decades and generations and. Oh my gosh. Anyways, I really love those books. I
0: I love this. Um, Okay, before we get to the full questionnaire, I didn't prep you for this, but this is something people write in to me. They ask for a book recommendation. So I'm going to read you what they said. You got to give us at least one. I'll give a handful so you have time to think. Um, Okay, this question is, I have to buy a book on a sports event that is based on true events that has or will be made into a TV show, movie, or documentary as a gift for a family member. This person is a huge sports fan, football, hockey, basketball, you name it, and loves to read about athletes, teams, or events. I know you, talking to me, have a passion for sports, but I'll extend that to you. So I feel like I'm in good hands. Any recommendations? Um, So if you want to think for a second. So specific. Yeah, these questions. Parameters. So a sports event. So a sports event that has been turned into something you can watch that's based on a true story.
1: I have one, but I don't think it was based on a true story. If it was, I don't know, but fits okay. the other aspects of that. Uh, Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk. Have you ever read that? No. Uh, it's right, I'm looking at my, it's right in front of me, Ben Fountain. It's about a, a veteran who comes back and attends the Super Bowl. Uh, oh. It's a beautiful book. It's about war and sports and the militarization of sports in America. He goes to like a Jerry World type. Situation. Oh, yeah. It's, it's a wonderful book. Okay. Um, yeah, so that one comes to mind, but I don't know if it quite fits. Oh, well, okay. Close enough. Specific.
0: <laughs> that's close enough. Okay. I'll give my, the ones I come up with, if you think of any more, let me know. So the first one is Unbroken by Laura Hildenbrand, which she also wrote Sea Biscuit. So those both technically fit. Um, that one, this one was made into a movie. It's about this guy, Louis Zamperini, who was a track runner who then went to world war ii his plane was shot down he became a prisoner of war it's about sports but it's also about other things um my next one is friday night lights which was Mm. a book and it was like a really beloved book before it became this sort of teen sensation old teen young old millennial sensation i should say and then this is sort of, I haven't read this, but I when I was researching this, I was like, oh, I should read this book because I loved the movie as a kid, even though it was terrifying, is Alive uh, by Piers oh, Paul hmm. Reed about the, yeah. I think, the soccer team that got stuck in the Andes for like right, yeah. two months or something crazy and like ate each other. So I kind of went off the beaten path with the sports situation, except for Friday Night Lights, because I thought and they probably read all the things that are like obvious, but those are my three. Did any more come to you? I would echo Friday night lights. Cause I actually have
1: read that book and seen the movie and
0: watched TV series. And... I've never seen the movie.
1: Okay. So like I, I, this is probably the craziest thing. All three media are good. Really? The, the series is amazing. The, the, is the movie is really good. Uh, with um, uh, Billy Bob Thornton, who's incredible in it. And the book is also really good. So that's a very rare, that's very thing, rare. Yeah, yeah. But They're
0: all good. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my God, I love it. Okay. Well, for people at home, um, if you want to have book recommendations on the show, email askthestacks at thestackspodcast.com. Okay. Two books you love, one book you hate. Two books I love are
1: Pachinko by Minjin Lee, who I love in every, like, as a person, as a human being. She's wonderful. I love her a lot of her books, but that book is very important to me. Especially, there's some resonances with my own family history, mm. and um, this book that I shared with my mom, who's from Korea and originally from North Korea. And, um, another book I, I, I wrote this down, and I was like, I haven't said his name out loud in like 20 years. Uh, is Disgrace by J.M. Kotzia Yes, Kotzia
0: yes, like, yes, oh, yes. I was I nervous to,
1: about saying his name. It's I don't like, know how to say his South last African name. name. It's like Coetzee. Um, Just a very important book to me. My whole life, it's a book that even thinking about it, like, gives me chills. Mm. And a book I hate, I was really, like, struggling. Um, I'm sure I'm not the only person who has said this as an answer, but I was just trying to think books I read in high school, and The Fountainhead came to mind, and even you in high school. You read that in high school? Yeah, we read it. I, I, Holy I under, shit. Yeah, we read it in high school, and I was like, this is dumb. <laughs> Were you in AP English or something? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I was going to say. English, yeah. I was going to say, know, regulars. In, <laughs> it's like this is you know I get what
0: this is about no one has ever said that on the show but I have never heard of that being assigned in school before yeah there's
1: probably others from high school that I'm forgetting that I didn't like but that was one that just jumped out to me
0: I accept that answer um what's the last really
1: great book you've read so this past year I read way more books than I've read and I but I hadn't I like went like three or four years with, like, reading very little for mm-hmm. work-related reasons. I don't know. So, basically, I missed all of the, like, award-winning books from, like, 2017 to <laughs> 2021. Anyways, so I finally read All the Light We Cannot See by Anthony mm-hmm. Durr. Uh, I don't know if I'm saying his name right, um, which is a very famous and popular book. Yeah. Of course. But I I, I was, like, you know, years late to it. And I was – I think I read it in, like, two days. So just, I just – It's like, oh, my God. It, it's so – that's r- a r- clunker. R- It's so riveting, though. You're just like, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? And the way it's um, structured with the interweaving stories is so, just as a writer, it's like, wow. You know, thinking about all the planning that went into that is amazing and it's beautifully written.
0: When you were out of your reading practice for a few years. I had I had a similar thing which is kind of how this show started actually as I was like I'm going to get back into reading and then I yeah. fell back in love with it and was like we should be talking about books on podcast. But when you like decided to go back to reading, was there something that you changed or something that you did to get yourself back in the habit?
1: I you know, not really. It was um I had like some free time coming up and I was thinking about all of the silly thing, you know, things around the house and whatever. And then yeah. I was like, what if I just bought a bunch of books? So I bought like three and then it was a reminder of how much I love them. So then I just bought like six and it kind of just happened. It was like riding a bike for me. I love it. I love
0: it. Um are, what are you reading right now? Um so aside from the book that we're gonna talk about. Um we're doing the roundhouse uh for yes, people who missed the announcement. We're doing the roundhouse by Louise Studrick. Uh, at the end of the month. I think it's February 22nd is when the episode airs.
1: I could also say, I mean, we're probably going to talk about it a little bit, but The Night Watchman was the other really great book I read, which was why I was so excited to read this one. But um, a book that I have like a, a bookmark in that I like just have not finished and I need to <laughs> is book four of the Neapolitan series by Elena uh, Ferrante.
0: Yeah. So
1: this was, it, I, I love it, but it was like circumstantial. I was on vacation and I just zipped through like two and three. Uh-huh. I started four on my Kindle. And then, like, the football season started, got and it. I just never got back to it. So it's just yeah. sitting, it's just unfinished. And it's like, I need to finish the series. It's four books, but I haven't.
0: Do you have time to read, like, during football season, or are you just constantly watching football?
1: Not really, except for on, like, Fridays and Saturdays, because um, so much of my job is watching and preparing for shows on during the week, right? Right. But when you get to Friday, I don't have anything to prepare for anymore. And the next batch of games is going to happen. So right. that's when I can get some reading done or just like consuming other forms of like television and stuff.
0: Yeah. What books are on your list that you're looking forward to reading?
1: Uh, it's a, a reread for me. I mean, oh. Everything I wrote down, I'm, 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 I always am afraid of saying out loud. Um, Gilead. Um, oh, so yeah. I was cleaning my bookshelf, or just, I guess, organizing it. And I realized I hadn't read it in a million years. And it's such a beautiful book. And it was so meaningful to me. And I kind of pulled it out. And I said, you know what? And, I, and, I, and the other thing is, I was reading it and I was like, I vaguely remember this, but I've actually forgotten enough to where I would like to reread this. So... I love how many books are
0: meaningful to you. It's making me, like, my heart so happy. Usually people are, like, so casual with the answers, like, I don't know, duh. And you're like, this book was really meaningful. And it makes me really happy because I love when books have meaning for other people. I call, books that are really meaningful to me. I call them books of my life because mm-hmm. I can never do like a favorite book, but there'll be a book that just like sat at the right part of my life and like sits in my heart in the exact right way. And I'm like, this is a book of my life. I don't know if it holds up. I haven't read it in 20 years, but it's a book of my life. How do you pick what you're going to read next? Do you have friends that recommend to you? Are you going to the New York Times? Are you listening to other people just browsing at the bookstore? Yeah,
1: I I, it is, I use the New York Times a lot. And then when I sort of undertook the project i described where i guess kind of decided to dive back into it it was very easy because like the best books lists and award winners of the last like five years i just hadn't read most of them right um so a book like all the light we cannot see which won the pulitzer prize i think or the Booker, i was just like oh, okay this is obviously good so (laughs) um yeah it's a lot of that and then some of it is, is recommendations from friends as well
0: do you ever we Juliet was on the show and she's a big reader. Do you ever go to her for recommendations? It's no, like, like, you I guys not. have really similar book tastes. Do we? I should. I yeah. gotta ask her now. Every yeah. once in a while, she'll text me and be like, "Have you read this?" And then some. A few of those books were on the list you first sent me of like books I read recently that I loved. And <laughs> I was like, "Oh, I wonder if they read the same books together." What's the last really good book that someone recommended to you?
1: I, it's funny because I, I um, mentioned Zach Baron. It was his sister Ruthie Baron, who's an editor at. ProPublica recommended a, a, a couple of books to me, one of which was a book called, I think we talked about it, maybe True Biz. Yeah, we um, did on the show in December. Yeah, which is it was such a fun book and such a quick read. And because I, I told her, I was like, you know, I just, I, I think, I don't know what, I just finished something long. And I was like, I'm looking for something I can read. And I think I read the book in like two days or something yeah. like it, it just zooms by. Yeah. But it was so, it was so cool because um, you, you did it on the show. So readers know, but it was like yeah. a whole world I knew nothing about, which is yeah. so fun.
0: Yeah, yeah. What's a book that you like to recommend to people?
1: Uh, So I came up with a couple. Yeah. Um, I like to recommend short story collections to people, Um, one of which is pretty well known and then one of which is not. So first is Jesus' Son. Oh, yeah. We did that on the show
0: years ago in
1: 2019. You know, really special and just will stick with you for a long time the other one is is a, a, a little bit lesser known and it's a short story collection called charity by a writer named mark richard yeah, i've never know. recommended it to someone who's read it in my entire <laughs> life and i don't even know how i stumbled across it um i must have just like bought it at a used bookstore and it looked interesting but it's 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 it shares a lot of dna as jesus's son and i whenever i think of the short stories whenever they kind of come into my mind they'd really stick with me
0: Mm. how do you read audiobook ebook kindle or kindle book uh physical book
1: mostly hard copies but sometimes i like i have i was reading the pod series on my kindle but i really use mostly hard copies
0: any ever audio or no
1: not in a really long time because it's because i think it's because i just listen to sports podcasts so much so it like if i'm driving or walking i'm just more likely to listen to a podcast. Um, yeah.
0: I go through so. phases where I'll be like, okay, I'm only doing audiobooks right now. And then I'll be like, okay, I have to catch up on all the podcasts I missed in the last like two weeks. <laughs> exactly. um, what's your ideal reading setup? Where are you? Time of day, snack or beverage? <laughs> the whole, give me, set it up if you're having like your perfect reading day.
1: Like on a weekend morning, usually, like on a Saturday morning. Definitely not at night because I'm so tired. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And I love reading outside. So it's really nice that I live in Los Angeles because it's always it's mostly nice outside. Like I like beach vacations just because it means I can read books for the most part. And I like, you know, being outdoors and reading for some reason. Do you have reading snacks or beverages? Not really. Um, Although I I guess I drink. Oh, uh, my husband like last me so much because i just leave cans of spindrift around our house okay. so i guess that's usually what i'm doing and eating. and what's your favorite spindrift flavor oh my god orange mango number one grapefruit number two okay had that locked and loaded <laughs> i okay this is super off track but i am a spin an influencer for spindrift. okay I, because i a dream I, yeah. So I um, was posting about it so much for free that someone there hit me up and they were like, Would you like to do a couple ads for Spindrift? And in exchange, we will send you free Spindrift. For, so it's been like years. And once a month, wow. I just get a box of
0: Spindrift. Oh it's my God. Incredible. <laughs> if Diet Coke is listening, I'm available for such a deal.
1: Speak it to the universe yes, and yes. manifest it. That, Anyone on Diet Coke? That's literally call how me. it started. I was on Thesis and Marrow. They're, um, Digital show and I had a bunch of spindrift. I was drinking and I just started talking about how much I liked it. And Mira was like, "Yo, spindrift!" And yeah. literally, somebody saw it and got back to me. It was amazing.
0: Jesus and Mero also passed guests of this show before amazing. they were just two separate people. Mm. Devastating. Mm. I can't even. Th- I can't even think about it. I'm still <laughs> like mourning. Um, you're in LA. I'm in LA. What are your favorite bookstores? Um, I like
1: Skylight in Los mm-hmm. Feliz, which is yeah. where I used to live. Okay. Uh, that I really loved. Kind of, and I, Los Feliz, as you know, and people in LA know, is really walkable. So I could like yeah. walk and get a meal, and they'd be like, "Oh, we're
0: going go to the bookstore." Swing by Skylight, Which love Skylight. not not an LA thing at all. So I came from New York, and I live in a different area that's sort of walkable. And during the pandemic, I put like ten miles on my car in an entire year because I just walked everywhere. I was like, I have nowhere else to be. Like, just want to be outside like pretending like I'm going places but I before that I never walked and now I'm like not walking as much anymore again and it Mm. really is sad um okay this is sort of our speed round Mm -hmm. what is the last book that made you laugh okay um Candy House
1: is what I wrote by Jennifer Egan there's a lot of I mean it's it's a thinker but there's a lot of really funny stuff in there too okay last book that made you cry Sea of Tranquility by oh. Emily St. John, Mandel, I'm saying right, St. Yeah. John Mandel, the woman who wrote um, Station, Station 11. Eleven. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's like pandemic stuff, so it's like yeah. a little bit like ooh, but it, it's I, really it's just worth reading. Did yeah. you
0: did you read Station Eleven? Yes. And did you read The Glass Hotel, the other no, one? No, I haven't. So I guess they're all connected but like yes. each one is freestanding as well. I have only read Station Eleven. I I couldn't get up the courage to do the other two, but I have them and I really want to. And I've heard it's a beautiful Tranquility beautiful is really good.
1: And it's not depressing. It's more just like, you know, yeah, it takes you back yeah. to certain places. Yeah. Well,
0: right. Like that's what Station Eleven. Yeah. I read it before the pandemic though, Station Eleven. Thank God. Because I don't know if I could have done it during. Did you watch the
1: show during the pandemic? I did watch the show. Intense. Did you watch the show? Yeah. Yeah, I watched it. Yeah.
0: Okay, the whole time, so I read the book in like 2018. So it had been a little bit of, it had been yeah. a few hundred books between that and when it's I a watched lot of the show. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, the whole time I was watching, I'm just sitting on the couch with my husband being like, my memory's failing me. I, I like, but they I changed had, so much. But I didn't realize that. And I was like, yeah. I don't remember this at all. And so the whole time, I just was like yeah. irritated because I was like, this what, is this what? I don't I don't remember that. And I like just totally. kept That's being, how like, I felt
1: watching Pachinko, the, the Apple did it version, oh, the TV yeah. version of that. It's it, there's so many differences and I did not love the differences.
0: It makes you feel crazy cuz you're yeah. like, I don't remember <laughs> really? that. Yeah, but totally. like and then I'd like Google, but I didn't want to get spoiled on the show, but I also was like yeah. that person didn't do that in yeah. anyway. So it's I I liked the I thought the Station Eleven was, like, beautiful, but I just couldn't relax into it because I was so, like, freaked out that I was going crazy or something. Yeah. It, it,
1: that, when it's just, like, a little off, too, you know? Yeah. You're like, yeah, what?
0: Yeah. Yeah. There was, I mean, it ended up being really different. I don't think yeah. I actually finished. I think I stopped, like, one or two episodes from the end because mm. I don't know why. You know how these things are. You just sort yeah. of move on. Yeah. <laughs> Other things come up. What's the last book that made you angry? This was when I read last year, These Truths by Jill Lapore, which oh, is yeah. a
1: history of the United States, but a much more honest history of the United yeah. States. Um, I, I really recommend it. Do you read a lot of nonfiction? No, no. I, not at all. That's why it's kind of weird. But yeah, it's, I don't even know
0: why I bought it. I don't know. Interesting. Yeah. Um, what's a book where you felt like you learned a lot?
1: Um, I was thinking back to books I read when I was younger, not like, Child, but yeah, younger yeah, adult. And the one that came to mind for me was No Name in the Street by James Baldwin. Mm-hmm. Um, not just because of the historical aspects of it, but I think it was a book that you know, I was thinking about becoming a writer. And the way, for those who haven't read it, it's like one of the most important, you should absolutely read it. The way, like, he used his personal history to. Tell the history of so many other things was just mm-hmm. so fascinating to me, and and he's such a beautiful writer. Also, obviously, like the prose is just like, oh, like yeah. every sentence you could take and put on a wall somewhere, <laughs> right? But I, I think so. I guess what I'm saying is kind of it wasn't just like learning about history, but also like learning about how to tell a story. Um, yeah. and I think about that a lot.
0: I should have asked you this way earlier.
1: Are you going to write a book? Uh, I don't know. I'm uh, maybe I. You know, it's, it's people ask me sometimes, and I have some ideas, but it's also I have so much football to watch right now. <laughs> but I, but I would love to. I do miss writing.
0: I would love for you to write a novel. I
1: feel Thank like you. that would
0: be really fun. I don't know what it would be about, some, but that would be really I have some cool. zany ideas. Oh, good. I love weird. Um, what's a book that brings you joy?
1: Another short story collection, Cathedral by Raymond Carver, especially the, the main story. If I'm ever really sad. I reread because it's it's um it's just your heart will like burst reading it. I don't want to spoil it for anyone. Okay, I've never read it. now. I'm just just that. read that one story
0: and okay. it, and it's just like oh my god. It's the title story. Yeah. Okay. Are there any books that you feel proud about having read?
1: Yeah. Um. So early in my relationship with my husband, he gave me the Recognitions by William Gaddis which okay. is a beast. I mean, okay. that book is long and it is weird and it has really cool ideas, but it is not an easy read. And I like to tell him like that's how he knew he should have known how committed I was, Starless, yeah. just that I actually read that <laughs> fucking book.
0: It's a, it's a real hipster book. It's like, you know, it's not an easy read. That's so funny. I feel like that's a story that turns out the opposite way when the book that's given is like infinite jest I feel like I've heard that story of like this guy gave me infinite jest to read and I was like fuck you it's over (laughs) but I'm glad that this worked out for you guys this is much better happy I don't really
1: recommend it it's good though I don't know did you give him anything to read yeah um I remember I gave him another I think we were just trying to impress each other uh Carnival by Italo Svevo which is another really hipster weird book I remember giving that to him earlier and did he read it yeah. He okay. loves reading. Yeah. Okay. He like he has weirder tastes than me.
0: And do you all like sit around the home and read <laughs> together?
1: Not really Sometimes now that I've been reading a little bit more, but I like
0: can't, I like fun books a lot more than him. Yeah. OK. Well, that's, I, I, I love this idea of you guys exchanging <laughs> hipster books to impress each other and fall in love through reading. What's a book that you're embarrassed that you've still never read?
1: Oh, but this is a um, very specific reason for being embarrassed. I'm looking. So uh, I do a lot of television from home, which started during the pandemic. And now it's just right. something we do. And we have a book drop with our backdrop. Pardon me with books <laughs> behind me. And one of them that's in my backdrop, I've actually never read, which I feel like is a lie. But it's 2666 by Roberto uh, Bolaño. I've never read it, but it's that's a I- big clunker. I just needed to like fill space. I was like frantically and literally I I don't I have rarely changed these books. All of them except for that I've read. I'm looking at them right now, but it's right there.
0: I love that. It's like the Easter egg. Like, do you know, Mina? She's not read one book. Which one? So. Um, (laughs) uh, So you told us, oh, what's a book that you wish more people knew about?
1: I, it's a, I'm going to go with a writer. Alexander Heyman is one of my favorite writers. He wrote books called Nowhere Man, The Lazarus Project, and Love and Obstacles. I love all of them. He's a Bosnian writer. Weirdly, he wrote The New Matrix, which was not good, but Hmm. um, he was one of the writers on it. But don't let that detract you because they are gorgeous books and they are about a lot of themes in terms of like expatriation and homeland and their stories about humanity. And they're just all, all three of those books are wonderful.
0: Mina, your taste is so ranging. I'm obsessed. I love this. It's like from true biz to Bosnian writer. This is beautiful. Um, what book is your problematic fave? Um,
1: okay. Maybe Lolita. Uh, sure. Right. It's definitely problematic. problematic. Yeah. yeah for sure. um, I have some people hate Jonathan Franzen. And every time I read an interview with him, I'm like, oh yeah, I get it. But I do like his books.
0: <laughs> okay, but did you read Freedom?
1: Ah, uh, that one I didn't like as much. That's the one where the family goes to like South America, or the
0: uh, the cover is like a bird and it's yeah, like a sunset. That one
1: wasn't that great, but the Corrections is good. It's, I
0: didn't it's, read the Corrections. It's,
1: it's good, but he
0: does seem very, very douchey. He Seems horrible. Yeah, every time I read, I read an interview it, with him, I'm like, oh god. I read freedom similarly to you when I first started dating my husband but he um, <laughs> did not give it to me but there's so many pictures of like the beginning of our relationship where I'm like in his dorm room like reading the book but it's like oh, spans like three months and I'm like I really struggled to get through that book I guess because it's in every picture of like the first three months of our relationship uh, <laughs> it's it wasn't great yeah I don't remember a single thing because I, I because it took so long and I obviously hated it um, <laughs> do you have a favorite book assigned in school That was assigned in school?
1: Uh, You know, I was just talking about this the other day with a friend of mine. Um, The Rest of the Earth was a really pivotal book for me in college um, by Fanon. That was assigned to me early in college and completely changed the course of my academic career. Came into college wanting, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I wanted to do something with reading or writing and then became that book made me want to write about maybe I, I ended up focusing on post-colonial literature in large part because of reading that book. Um, wow. it is a real eye opener. It's incredibly written. That was my
0: freshman year of college. I think is when I read that. And you went to Yale. Yeah. Should have known because that AP English, <laughs> that, that fountain had <laughs> only that the five, smart, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> what's, um, what's a favorite book about where you're from? So I, I'm I'm from everywhere, which makes this a little
1: bit complicated. My dad okay. was in the military. Okay. Um. I I so I'm gonna go to another Min Jin Lee book. It's not really like where I'm from because it takes place in New York. I'm not from New York, but Min wrote another book called Free Food for Millionaires. Mm-hmm. I know that one. That's about a young Korean American woman that really re- it, it's kind of about being being from like a blue collar background and going to an Ivy League school and dealing with Koreanness and and that. I, that book, which I read last year for the first time, even though it came out a while ago, I was like, whoa, this, the resonances with where I'm from as a person are pretty intense. Right.
0: If you were a high school teacher, what's a book you would assign to your students?
1: Uh, I'm going to go with another Korean author and pick native speaker by Chang Rayleigh. Lee. I mean, everything Chang oh. Rayleigh, Lee, but like that book is not That's only like is it his like,
0: memoir one, right? It's like his uh, it, first one.
1: It's no, it's a, it's gosh, I don't want to spoil it for people. It's oh, okay. um,
0: I don't know what his first book is actually. I feel but, like it's one of his early, his early. Yeah, books. it is. It is earlier. Yeah,
1: yeah and he's he's so prolific. It's um, it it it's a book. It's a work of fiction. It's very riveting because it's like a little bit of a. There's like a mystery aspect to it, but it also has really important things to say about the Asian American experience that I think it's important for high schoolers to read. Is
0: there any book that influenced you? Like in your professional career,
1: yeah, not with sports, but okay. when I wanted to, when I was thinking about journalism and what I wanted to do, I read a bunch of Michael Lewis books. Um, okay, in he's college. got a sports book. Moneyball, right? That's true. But for me, it was like Liars Poker, mm. and uh, Barbarians at the Gate is another business book that I recommend to literally everyone. It's by a couple of really <laughs> amazing writers and. It's, it's like a, it's like a real page turner. Right. But um, both of those books made me think, wow, like money's really interesting. And like also, you know, power and corruption. And it it really made me fascinated with the idea of business journalism, I guess, and covering those types of people.
0: And he's an interesting one because he, he not only tells interesting stories, but he makes them interesting. Because if you had told me that I was going to care about the big short or whatever, like I would have been like. Zero percent chance. I don't know numbers. I don't care. I don't get it. It's you're wrong. And I was like, this is fascinating. <laughs>
1: like, yeah. Well, just the idea of like making narratives out of these yeah. things, you know, was something that I had to learn how to do early when I was writing about business.
0: Yeah. And whoever wrote in to Ask the Stacks, Moneyball would also be a book that would fit your yeah. request. That's just that way that actually has um, a lot of parallels with my
1: <laughs> life right now. With your yeah. life.
0: Who would you want to write the book of your life if it's not you?
1: Yeah, uh, Zadie Smith is my mm. pick for this. One of my favorite writers, um, and I've—I just—I one thing I love about her writing, the prose is excellent, but it's also really self-aware and funny. I guess, mm-hmm. and I guess I would—I would want someone writing about me to have that kind of light touch.
0: Yeah, yeah. What's a book that you've read that you'd love to see turned into a movie or TV show or something?
1: Well, shoot, Free Food for Millionaires would be a great, and maybe it is going to be one. Another book, though, that I read uh, this last year that I, I, the whole time I was reading, I was like, this would be such a good movie. Um, Actually, I think it might be for young adults. I don't know if it is, maybe not, but uh, it's called Migrations by, um, I think Charlotte McConaughey is the woman's name who wrote it. It's about a woman who is trying to track to like basically get her way hitchhike her way onto a fishing ship to track the paths of these birds escaping from the arctic because of climate it's about climate change but it's really about like it's like a it's like a love story and a tragedy oh. and a mystery it's so it's just so cinematic that the whole time i was thinking
0: oh god this would be such a good movie i love that okay last one i stole it from the new york times if you could require the president to read one book what would it be
1: this might be like a little bit on the nose but i was just reading one of the many articles right now about all of the books that are like being banned across America or being taken out of libraries, and it's like it's so horrifying to read the list because yeah. so many of them are books that have meant so much to me and taught me so much growing up. It's cl- yeah. like not just it's it's not obs- it's like classic. So you could choose literally any of those. The one though that I keep seeing on lists is *The Bluest Eye* by mm. Toni Morrison, which mm-hmm. is a book that frankly every man in a lot
0: should Should be reading
1: yeah Yeah. but um you know i it it was just like bone chilling to me to see that on these lists because of the not only uh you know beautifully written it is but the things it has to say about race and gender and sexuals it's just a really important
0: book so Mm. yeah yeah. such i mean a classic um yeah the fucking book banning is We did a whole series on it last year on the show. I talked to like a bunch of different, like, librarians, teachers, authors, whatever. And this year, I'm like, I'm not, I don't want to do it again. I don't want to fucking do this again. Stop banning the books, you assholes. Just cut it out. It's just books I read and I, that's what's so strange. It's, you know, you you
1: open these lists and you expect to see things you've never heard of and maybe like things that are like, I don't know, like avant-garde or
0: whatever, or or
1: whatever. But I'm like, no, I. This is around my high school reading list. Like, what is happening? It's like, and so many of the books
0: that I didn't know were books that were like, this is what a period is. Like, there's so many books that are instructional books that they're trying to ban. Like, this is a period, or like my body going through puberty. And I think about kids whose parents like don't who whose parents agree with the book banning who aren't going to be able to get it from anywhere else, and it's like their last possible spot is like the school library. It's like you're banning, you know, or like books. They have a lot of books that are in translated. So it'll be like a book that's in English, but like the Spanish translation or a book like it's like so deeply fucked. And a lot of the books that get the buzz are the books that we all know and love. But there's so many. There's like a book about Ruby Bridges. It's like this is fucking... (laughs) A story about yeah. a kid like this just happened like there's no agenda here. This is just like who is Ruby bridges like it's fucking crazy. it's really heartbreaking, yeah, it's devastating. so stop banning books, thanks um. Mina, thank you so much. This was so fun. What a shitty way to end. I I really
1: I should have ended with the Dragon Riders of Pern. That would have sent us out on a high note.
0: Another book we're going to try to adapt into the screen. Mina will be the executive producer. I can't wait for you to be nominated for an Emmy and a Golden Globe. And I'll be like, I was there when she got the idea. Um, Mina will be back at the end of the month on February 22nd to talk about The Roundhouse by Louise Erdrich, which is her National Book Award winning novel not to be confused with her Pulitzer Prize winning novel and all of her other award winning novels. And I've never read her before. So I'm really You're excited. I'm excited Really for excited. You. Um, thank you so much, Mina. Thanks for having me. And we will see you in the stacks. All right, that does it for us today. Thank you all so much for listening. And thank you to Mina for being my guest. I'd also like to say a huge thank you to David Dennis Jr. for helping connect Mina to the stacks. Reminder, our February book club selection is The Roundhouse by Louise Erdrich. Mina will return on February 22nd for that discussion. If you love the show and want inside access to it, head to patreon.com slash thestacks and join the Stacks Pack. Make sure you're subscribed to the Stacks wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, be sure to leave a rating and a review. For more from the Stacks, follow us on social media at thestackspod on Instagram and at thestackspod underscore on Twitter. And check out our website, thestackspodcast.com. This episode of The Stacks was edited by Christian Duenas with production assistance from Lauren Tyree. Our graphic designer is Robin McReight and our theme music is from Tagirajis. The Stacks is created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas.